0: But looking at your sheet for today, here's the first sentence I have. They went up then till they came to the delectable mountains, which mountains belong to the Lord of the hill. Now, every week, and this week is no different from that, I want to take a little look into the Word before we look at the specific chapter or part of the story. In our preliminary look at the Word today, deals with a a psalm and a hymn. A psalm and a hymn. A song for the Sabbath, and it is Psalm 92. I have my Bible open to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Where did I get the idea that this is a song or a psalm for the Sabbath? In the psalm superscription. It's right there. I didn't imagine this, or Spurgeon didn't tell me this in his... uh, treasury of david he would emphasize it of course but this is entitled a song for the sabbath it is intended to be sung on the day of worship its heart is verse 8 which deals with the exaltation of the lord verse 8 is a relatively short when it reads but you o lord are on high forever This is preceded by seven verses, actually 52 words. Don't try to count them up in your English. Count them in your Hebrew Old Testament. 52 words that praise God, verses 1 through 4, and affirm the fleeting nature of the prosperity of the wicked, verses 5 through 7. That middle verse is followed by seven more verses, again, 52 words, amazingly, that affirm the downfall of the wicked in verses 9 through 11, and the ultimate prosperity of the godly who praise God. The final verses, 12 through 15. In this psalm, we see that true worship on the Lord's day should include thanksgiving, praise, joy, and contemplating God's good works. And I have a verse for each of them. Although our time is fast fleeting here, nevertheless, I'm going to take the time to read the psalm in its entirety, having made just those passing observations. And here it is. This is God's Word. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wickedness, uh, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. A song for the Sabbath. It'll be good to read that once in a while in anticipation of the Lord's Day. And we don't belong to, maybe none of us ever did belong to a psalm-singing church, especially a church that exclusively sings the psalms, but in those congregations, I'm sure this psalm is occasionally sung. Uh, A psalm and a hymn. A Hymn for the Lord's Day. Ah, there is a page from it, and maybe you can see where you're seeing. Can you see the title of this hymn? Safely like Through Yeah, Safely Through Another Week. And of course, it's in your notes also here. And if you look at this carefully, all the way down to the bottom of the page is the name of a familiar hymn writer here. It is John Newton. Uh, I have the whole hymn here. I can sing it for you, actually. Have you, have you ever sung this hymn? Safely through another week, God has brought, and so on. Let me read just a couple of the words. Safely through another week, God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek, waiting in his courts today. Day of all the week, the best, emblem of eternal rest. Day of all the week, the best, emblem of eternal rest. While we pray for pardoning grace through the dear Redeemer's name, show thy reconciling face, take away our sin and shame. From our worldly cares set free, may we rest this day in thee. From our worldly cares set free, may we rest this day in thee. Here we come, thy name to praise. Let us feel thy presence near. May thy glory meet our eyes while we in thy house appear. Here afford us, Lord, a taste of our everlasting feast. Here afford us, Lord, a taste of our everlasting feast. And the final verse, may thy gospel's joyful sound conquer sinners, comfort saints. May the fruits of grace abound, bring relief for all complaints. Thus may all our Sabbaths prove till we join the church above. Thus may all our Sabbaths prove till we join the church above. It's a wonderful hymn. I love that hymn. It's been a long time since I've sung it. Who knows? Maybe I'll sing it this coming Sunday in Cape Canaveral. I don't know. Uh, Why did I choose these two things, which we have just briefly looked at, a psalm and a hymn? Because of the nature of what Christian and Hopeful are going to experience in the delectable mountains. Now you realize that the last thing that happened before they come here, and you'll notice the little squeezed paragraph, the previous few days had been a real low point for Christian and Hopeful. When the going got rough, they veered off the way, ending up in a life-threatening storm. That was not the worst of it. They ended up being taken by giant despair to Doubting Castle. They suffered terrible physical abuse and fell into deep discouragement. After four days at their lowest point, they began to pray at midnight and continued until almost the break of day. Christian then discovered that he actually had the key in his bosom that would provide their release. The key of promise opened every lock, and thus they fled. Outing Castle, and they come to the delectable mountains. Notice a couple things about the delectable mountains. These mountains belong to the Lord of the hill. Uh, by the way, I put this in our notes here. The word delectable, I'm not sure you've used that word recently, although there are... Other words that we use even less frequently, but delectable means extraordinarily pleasant and delightful. The delectable mountains are not just nice. They are extraordinarily pleasant and delightful. There, the pilgrims drank and washed themselves and ate from the vineyards. And be reminded of the fact that in the castle of giant despair, they had no food or drink, along with their sufferings. So, they drank, they washed themselves and ate from the vineyards. This is a very, very pleasant place for them. What do the delectable mountains represent? At the very bottom of the page, some say that these mountains simply represent a time of quiet rest. Steve would say, let's come away and go to the Delectable Mountains, you know, in in our message this morning. Just a place of quiet rest. Others say that they, the Delectable Mountains, are a picture of the local church. Still others say that they represent the ministry of the Word of God by godly pastors. And yet a fourth view, yet a fourth view suggests that these mountains represent the Sabbath and all that Sabbath rest entails. Uh, You might want to guess, from what I chose as the introduction here, a song for the Sabbath and a hymn, that uh, I tend toward the fourth of these, although the second and third and fourth suggestions are very closely connected together here. Well, the next thing that we are introduced here are the four shepherds. The four shepherds. The pilgrims went to these shepherds. I think it's so interesting, so so picturesque the way it's described in Pilgrim's Progress. The Christians, the, the pilgrims, Christian and Hopeful, come to these four shepherds and leaning on their staffs, leaning on their staffs, the Christian and the man named Hopeful. Are leaning on their staffs, and this picture doesn't picture it as well as maybe some others will see, and kind of see him leaning on a staff right here. But they are leaning on their staff. Uh, they asked them about the mountains and the sheep. They were told that these mountains were the mountains of Emmanuel's land, within sight of his city. And the sheep were his, since he had laid down his life for them. Like we read in John 10, a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The names names are given, of course, to these four shepherds. Knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere. And you'll notice a brief suggested description, and I've basically quoted from Bradley on these things, knowledge. A truly great minister will have the highest knowledge, a thorough knowledge of the Bible and thus of himself. From this knowledge then he will feed his sheep, knowing, uh, showing them the holiness of God and the depravity of the human heart. One of the shepherds named knowledge. Are we blessed with a shepherd who indeed could be called knowledge? You're sure are right about that one. Experience. A pastor is able to speak with absolute authority about God's comfort and the strength of his everlasting arms after going through a difficult time in which the existence of these attributes has been proved by experience. That's one of the greatest things that an older pastor has over a brand new novice younger pastor. Much more experience that he can draw on, not just experience in general, but the experience of seeing God at work in his life. Third one, watchful, represents a good pastor who is attentive over the souls of his congregation. Also, a watchful shepherd is able to detect wolves. And the fourth, sincere, the value of a minister who has pure, godly intentions. His flock knows that he warns them for their own good. And he remembers God's forbearance to him and thus is patient with the weak. Four men, four shepherds. These shepherds have unquestionably ministered to many, many pilgrims who were passing through. It is fascinating that the next part of Bunyan's account here deals with four places that these faithful shepherds took the two pilgrims to and showed them some very significant things. And and very specifically, it says in the book, they were shown these things for their edification. What is edification? Edification. That they might be built up, that they might be placed on a solid foundation. So what were these places? Well, the first is the Hill of Error. The Hill of Error. When brought to the top of this hill, the shepherds had them look over the steep far side. Looking down, they saw the mangled bodies of those who had succumbed to theological error. Well, Those who had succumbed to theological error. The shepherds made reference to false teachers in Ephesus named Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus and Philetus. I'm going to flip over in my Bible to the reference that you see in the the brackets there, in the parentheses, in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy and chapter 2. I'm going back to verse 14. Remind them of these things, And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene, like a cancer. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Hymenaeus and Philetus, two notorious false teachers in the city of Ephesus. Paul is warning Timothy about them. When he warns them about them, what he says about them is that what, what they are teaching is going to spread like a disease, like a, like a deadly disease. He says these individuals have swerved from the truth and taught error. The hill, error. The hill, error. Error is dangerous and deceptive. Error brings individuals to tragic ruin. And Christian and hopeful look over the side of this hill and see the mangled bodies beat up. Second place they're taken to is Mount Caution. Mount Caution. Let me read it fully from the notes. When taken to the top of this mountain, the pilgrims saw in the distance blind men stumbling among the tombs. When they asked what this meant, they were told that these men were on pilgrimage, but the way had become rough And they turned aside and went through a stile into a meadow where they were taken by giant despair, who put out their eyes and led them to wander among the tombs. Wait a minute. What did they just hear here? Pilgrims who were on pilgrimage, and the way began to get rough, and they saw a stile. They went through the stile. And in in relatively short order, they were brought under the spell of giant despair. That's pretty much a description of the relatively recent, the very recent experience of Christian and hopeful, isn't it? Now, they didn't have their eyes put out physically, but they fell into deep, deep despair. And it says at the end of that, upon hearing this, They wept hard, realizing God's grace to them in the fact that they were brought out from the castle of giant despair. They didn't say anything to the shepherds, but boy, their hearts were were smitten by their own experience on that mount caution. In this particular illustration, simple illustration, you can see Christian and Homeboy kind of turned away so that the shepherds couldn't see the tears streaming from their eyes. The third place, a byway to hell. A byway to hell. This was located in a valley where there was a door in the side of a hill. As they looked through the door, it was dark and smoky, and they heard a rumbling noise like a fire, and there was the smell of brimstone. In addition, they heard the cry of the tormented. Ever hear a fire roaring? You know, a big campfire. It roars. The smell of brimstone and the cry of the tormented. This is a scary place. This was the way that hypocrites enter hell. And then there are some examples that are given. And you notice these are like Esau who sold his birthright. You remember that account, don't you? What did he sell his birthright for? A bit of pottage. A mess of pottage, I think the King James translates it. Like Judas, who sold his master. What did Judas sell his master for? 30 30 pieces of silver, which is the equivalent of what? that's it in essence simplest way to put it is the price of a slave the price of a slave I believe who would have been gored by an ox you know and that's what it would take Alexander who blasphemed the gospel Alexander is made mention of by the apostle Paul in the first of his letters to Timothy in the latter part of this chapter you'll, you'll, you'll be interested to see how this comes up Paul says in verse 18, 1 Timothy 1, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may war- wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. The same Hymenaeus guy. Piletus isn't mentioned here i and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Alexander. And then the fourth example is Ananias and Sapphira, who lied against the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 gives us the account of this. What did Ananias and Sapphira do? Which seemed like a good thing. They their land and said they gave them all the money, but they didn't. Hmm. They held back the money for themselves. They lied for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it sounds like there's more. always more coming. That's, that's pretty much the essence of it. And, and you're familiar with that story. Everybody in the church was being generous. There was a spirit of generosity, not enforced generosity. In the church, they had all things in common so that those who were truly needy could be ministered by the loving generosity of others in the church, and people were selling things. Matter of fact, the example that's given right before Ananias and Sapphira are described is the example of whom? Barnabas. Barnabas, and his example of generosity, is highly commended. And then Ananias and Sapphira, who on the surface seemed to do the right thing, But it was revealed to Peter by the Holy Spirit that they had lied, and in the space of just a couple hours apart, they were both being buried. And fear fell on all the church. That's what we're told. Fear fell on everybody. Yeah. Hopeful remarked that these had the appearance of being on pilgrimage, and that for a long time, too. Uh, Think back through the examples here. Esau. Uh, Esau was a part of the family of the patriarchs. Seemed like he was following in their steps. Judas. My goodness, Judas was one of the 12. Judas was entrusted with holding the money. Alexander, we don't have a whole lot about Alexander, but he's being warned about being a false teacher, but apparently he... Showed that gave the evidence, uh, gave the appearance that he was heading in the right direction. And Ananias and Sapphira, Whew. notice what Bradley said here some men and women can be exposed to the truth and yet in the end reject it because of the perverseness of their hearts and the bondage of their wills to sin. I think we've had occasion to make mention of this. At times in uh, in previous lessons, in previous weeks, individuals who seemed, who seemed to be attached to the truth, but then who fall away. I, I think I told you the story. It wasn't more than just a couple weeks ago now that uh, a former student at the college uh, notified me that he was going to be over. At this coast, and he was going to be riding the Pinellas Trail, and he wondered if we could get together. It didn't turn out that we could ride together, but we had dinner together Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. And I think I may have told you about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, When I reconnected with him during COVID, when he was on a bike ride all the way across the United States, diagonally, a solo bike ride, absolutely incredible thing. I reconnected with him, was kind of fascinated by his daily reports, but also was was turned off by the profanity that he used when he was giving those reports. And I said, I, I don't need time for this. And I saw that a couple good friends of mine both remarked on his Facebook page, I'm praying for you. And I thought, oh, brother, what a, you know, what a rebuke to me that is. And so... I started following and saying, i pray for you. And we reconnected so much that I would talk to him on the phone sometimes during my rides and his rides and all that kind of stuff and followed him right up to the very end. But I said to him at that time, you are not in a right relationship to the Lord. And I'm going to pray that every time I pray for you that you and this girl, Amanda, would be in a right relationship to me. And so when we had dinner Wednesday night, he told me all of his woes, you know, his mother that he's taken care of, and she's bad, and his sister, who married a millionaire, they got divorced, and she's a mess. And his dog was soon to die, and all this kind of stuff. And wife, God, doing all these things to me, and he rehearsed other things from other times. And I said to him, buddy, You need to be in a right relationship to God. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you opened your Bible? When was the last time you went to church? Any of these things. You have chosen to cut God out of your life. And you're going to be critical now that God is not doing good things for you. There are people who seem to have been on pilgrimage. You've probably known some too. You could share stories probably. a byway to hell you know this is not the last time that this location is going to appear in the story and we're coming pretty close to the end of the story mm-hmm. there's a fourth location and I love this location the hill called clear the hill called clear as they moved toward the delectable mountains to continue on their journey, the shepherds took them to a high hill called Clear and gave them a perspective glass. I love that expression, a perspective glass. It's a telescope, but it gives you perspective. You can see, I could see Vicki like she's standing right next to me if I had a telescope. They were given a perspective glass to look through though their hands were still shaking from the previous scene. Pause on that for a minute. Pause on that for a minute. Why were their hands shaking? Well, you you know, probably the first thing that crossed my mind back quite a while ago when I read this was, you know, their own failure when they crossed through the style and fell under... Uh, giant despairs domain and all that kind of stuff. No, it was the glimpse that they had been given of hell. Boy, if that doesn't make your hands shake. Their hands were so shaky that they could hardly hold the glass still to see. Although their hands were still shaking from the previous scene, they saw something like the gate of the celestial city and some of the glory of that place. This put a song in their lips. I love the little songs that Bunyan uh, places at parts in the story. And here's their song. Thus by the shepherds secrets are revealed, which from all other men are kept concealed. Come to the shepherds then, if you would see things deep, things hid, that mysterious bee, a song in their hearts. <clears throat> Party words from the shepherds. One of them gave them a map of the way ahead. Another warned them to beware of the flatterer beware of the flatterer. The third one told them to take heed not to sleep on the enchanted ground. They hadn't come to it yet, but when they get there, beware of sleeping there. And the fourth one? The fourth one bade them Godspeed. Good journey to you. If you are reading the book, and if you're taking note of little things like this, and you can see as I hold my book open here, I have something underscored in yellow at this point. It says, so I awoke from my dream. <laughs> the very next paragraph says, and I slept and dreamed again, and so. So he woke from his dream, and then he dreamed again. Uh, you'll see the little note there probably indicating that he was released from prison. That's when he awoke from the dream. And then he was perhaps re-arrested and re-imprisoned. And that fits the facts of the actual imprisonment that, Duny- that Bunyan experienced. Okay? But notice these four things. They're all pretty clear, aren't they? One gave them a map of the way ahead. Another warned them, beware of the flatterer. Don't sleep in the enchanted ground. Thank God's plea. be, Good journey. ahead. Well, our time is almost done, but a couple observations before proceeding with the pilgrims on their journey. Since the pilgrims were held in Doubting Castle from Wednesday until Saturday, it's very possible that the things that took place in the delectable mountains took place on Sunday. Now, again... That's a speculation by some because, you know, more often than not, specific chronological lapses of time and so on are not made clear. And and especially when we come to Pilgrim's Progress Part 2 and Christiana sets out with their boys who are young in the course of their journey to the celestial city, they get married. They grow up and get old enough to be married, so you know there's a, a passage of time. but. One suggests that perhaps this took place on a Sunday. If that's the case, it would further support the view that the delectable mountains represent the Sabbath. And number two, it was here that the pilgrims experienced refreshment, were given warning and instruction from faithful shepherds or pastors, and were given a glimpse of heaven and were caused to sing. Those things certainly do characterize our worship experience on the Lord's Day. And as such, our worship experience on the Lord's Day is indeed a foretaste of heaven. Every time that we gather together for church, we have experienced a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven is going to be so much better than this, but a taste of what heaven is going to be like. Being with those of like precious faith and worshiping with them and singing with them and being exhorted. and All of those things. Now, what's next? Well, I check my watch next, and it looks like two minutes left here. Two minutes left. Not so good here. But you'll notice two other characters here. Two other characters. Here's the... Two other characters. (laughs) There we go. Here we go. Ignorance ignorance. And then if you flip the page, the next character is little faith. Little faith. Ignorance and little faith. We don't have time really to get into these right now. Believe it or not, the first earlier time that I taught this, I actually included the flatterer in this lesson. And we got started. I I am Putting this lesson together, I thought I don't want to get into the flatterer right now. We'll start that afresh next time. but looks like we'll start with a look at ignorance and little faith. If you haven't read these pages about ignorance and little faith, especially the section about little faith, read that and read that again and the It's just a fascinating conversation between Christian and hopeful about little faith. And there's some humorous things in that conversation that we'll bring up next time. The Christian, the the pilgrims, were taken to four places by the shepherds for their edification. What were the four places once again? The first was.
1: The hill called
0: Error. They looked over the edge, and what they see, dead bodies. The second was Mount Caution, Mount Caution. The third, the byway to hell. And the fourth, the hill called Clear. I think there may have been a time back quite a while ago in connection with one of our studies that I may have even given you a little card that I made up of, when was the last time you looked through your perspective glass? This week. Look through your perspective glass. Catch a glimpse of heaven, and it will encourage you. I apologize that we didn't get all the way through the lesson, but uh, nothing new, right? Nothing new. So let me conclude with a word of prayer for us here, okay? Heavenly Father. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being together. Thank you, Lord, for this great book that John Bunyan wrote and the insights that he had when he wrote it, things that we experience. Thank you, Father, even more for the great book that you've given to us in your word and the eternal truths that are found in it. Father, help us to never, ever tire of growing in our knowledge of your word and in our living of your word and in our sharing of your word. And, Father, thank you for the privilege of having Paul and Karen with us today. And, Lord, we pray for your richest blessing to be upon them in their present travels. Lord, give them rest and recovery from the long journey they've been on to get here. And I pray that you would give them much blessing as they travel over the next few weeks. Lord, uh, may they be encouraged greatly by the things that they see and the people that they see. And Lord, bless Paul in the work that he is doing as they move toward the home stretch of their their ministry there. I just pray, Father, that you would use him to be a great blessing. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for all that you do in our life, Lord, for your extravagant grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.